1: Hi, I'm Huang Rei. On today's Alight on Literature, we continue by presenting the book Tides from the West, a Chinese autobiography written by Chang Meng-Ling. Chang Meng-Ling was a well-respected Chinese educator. Today, Tang da narrates the last part of Chapter 33. Enjoy.
0: learning is for the sake of its use what is this use it comes under two main principles first whatever has to do with the elevation of moral sentiments in the masses and with the cultivation of right moral attitudes in the individual second whatever will contribute to national prosperity and the people's livelihood these principles are the summary of ages of teachings from the sages and scholars Whatever they say and teach has come eventually to these. Scholars learned them and diffused their learning to the common people. The common people, under this influence, through ages of accumulated effort, have gradually and unconsciously developed a mentality, as the reader will readily see, of common sense and practical wisdom. They have kept on asking what is the use of this or that in the light of these same principles. When trains and steamboats came to China, people were ready to ride on them because they went much faster. They used kerosene oil because it gave more light. Telephone and telegraph facilities transmit messages without the necessary delay of mail or foot or even house messengers. Clocks and watches give exact time without looking at the sun. People bought Western manufactures because they served useful purposes in daily life. When missionaries came, they established schools and hospitals. What wonderful people they are, said the Chinese. They heal the sick and educate the children of the poor. When the Chinese assembled to listen to the preaching of the gospel, the eyes of a number of them were usually directed toward the hospitals or the schools. Through the leaves of the Holy Bible, they peeped at the useful things of Western manufacture the preacher had brought to China from his homeland. My father made friends with a local missionary because he repaired our water pumps and gave us cough drops and quinine powder. He was honest and friendly in dealing with his neighbors. The last is important because the Chinese are both practical and moral. What about the religion they taught us? Oh, that is a good religion. It teaches people to be good. What about their god? Oh, yes. Their god? He is a good god. Put him in our temples beside many other good gods. We'll worship him burn candles and incense before him. But he will not sit in your temples beside your idols. Well, we'll make an idol for him. No, that can't be done. He's omnipotent and omnipresent. God is in you, not in the idol. Yes, yes, when he's not in me, maybe he likes to be in an idol. No, he is in heaven. Yes, I know he is, as all the other gods are. Maybe he wants to take a trip down to earth and use the temples as his hotels. Then we can worship him there. No, he's the only God. When you worship him, you cannot worship other gods. Then our people would hesitate and say, you worship yours, we will worship ours. There it is if you believe it so. It is not there if you do not believe it. Herein lies China's wisdom of religious toleration. Modern legal sense as the West understands it is not developed in China. Avoid the course if you can. Let us settle our disputes without going to law. Let's compromise. Let's have a cup of tea and sip together with friends and talk things over. It is much less expensive, much less troublesome and much fairer. What is the use of going to law? You often see stone tablets on the highways near a Xian capital bearing these bold letters. Do not go to law. This may be the reason for the non-legal mindedness of the Chinese. But as modern industry and commerce grow, society will grow in complexity and laws for governing the complicated social relations will be necessary. When laws become a necessity, the practical wisdom of the Chinese will see to it that we are more legal-minded. But would it not lessen the burdens of the courts if people should settle their cases by sipping a cup of tea? Do not do unto others what you would not have others do unto you. Critics say this is negative while do unto others what you would have others do unto you, is positive. Yes, that is true, but the Chinese prefer the negative, from practical sense. You may like onions, so you try to force them upon others, that is positive. Onions may taste good to me, but others may not have the same feeling. They may fear them as ladies do rats. If you were not a lover of this obnoxious vegetable, would you like others to impose it upon you? No, of course not. Then, why should you impose it upon others? It's negative, but it's more sensible. For the positive way, if you persist, will lead to trouble, while the negative way will avoid it. Love your friend, be fair to your enemy. Of course, it is a higher ideal to love your enemy. But how many in all history have ever loved their enemy? It looks like hitching your wagon to a star. It is something unattainable. It is practical idealism to be fair to your enemy. So the Chinese prefer it to pure idealism. Is there any use in music? Yes, it is very useful. It can bring the feelings of an individual to harmony. It can raise the morals of a people to a higher level. Is there any use in the arts? Yes, they are very useful. They will cultivate the finer sense of the people and thus raise their morals to a higher level. Landscape gardening, splendid palaces and temples, landscape painting, literature, poetry, calligraphy, porcelains, bronzes, skillful carvings, and the like all cultivate this finer sense in man. Why must a man be honest? Because if you are dishonest and untrustworthy, people will not believe and trust you. Then you will fail in business and in dealing with other people. Dishonesty simply does not pay. Not only is honesty a virtue, But its practical results are invaluable to human relations the chinese love humor why because you can say things without offending people besides you can get a lot of innocent pleasure from it you can get along with people better by innocent and amusing suggestions humor makes company more congenial and life more enjoyable Perseverance is one of the great virtues necessary to success. If you keep on filing and filing, you will break the steel. If you keep on grinding and grinding, you will shape the precious stone. In the scenic western hills of Peking, one summer afternoon, Professor John Dewey, Dr. Hu Shi and I watched a Sisyphus beetle pushing a tiny mud ball up the slope. It pushed first with forelegs, then with hind legs, and then with its side legs. The ball rolled up and up until some mishap occurred, which set it rolling down to where it started, with the diminutive Sisyphus riding on it. He repeated the process, but met with the same failure. Again and again he tried. We admired his perseverance, said both Hu Shi and I. Yes but his lack of intelligence is regrettable, said John Dewey. Thus, the virtuous see virtue, the wise see wisdom. There are different aspects in the same thing. The eminent philosopher is truly a loyal son of the West, while his disciples are truly loyal sons of the East. The West pitied Mr. Sisyphus's lack of head, while the East admired his heart. The Chinese people are contented with their lot. If a Chinese lives on a frugal diet, takes a humble house, and has enough clothes to keep warm, he feels satisfied. This attitude toward a simple way of living keeps China's millions contented and happy, but it precludes progress as the West understands it. Unless China is industrialized, she cannot lift the people to any level of material prosperity. Perhaps for years to come, her countless people will have to be content with their lot. The Chinese people are devoted to nature not in the sense of finding the natural laws, but in the sense of cultivating the poetic, artistic, or moral sense of lovers of nature. To be under pine trees steeped in the moon, and listen to streams flowing gently over the rocks, gives one a placid mind and a tranquil heart to see spring flowers in bloom makes one feel the universe filled with the spirit of growth to observe autumn leaves falling serves as a warning of the approach of declining days from nature the chinese learns the sublime nature of man in peking there is the altar of heaven built of white marble somewhat like a great theater but terraced upward toward the center, which is raised higher than the surrounding terraces. At this altar, the emperors of the past worshipped heaven. On one clear moonlit autumn night, when the sky was blue without a speck of cloud upon it, the full moon shone directly upon my head, and the marble terraces were flooded with silver light overflowing into the vast space around me, i stood at the center of the altar and all of a sudden felt as if heaven earth and myself merged into one vastness this experience of sudden sublimation made me understand why the chinese regard heaven earth and man as one and inseparable by believing in their unity the chinese elevate man from the pettiness of daily life to the higher plane of sublime spirit The vastness of space, the brilliance of the sun, the placidity of the moon, the multitude of stars, the luxuriant growth of plants, the rotation of the seasons, the timely rains that nourish the crops, the winding rivers that irrigate the fields, the dashing tides that reveal the power of nature, the high mountains that touch the sky. Each and all furnish rich materials in cultivating man's sublime spirit. Of nature, man is born. To nature, man owes his life. From nature, he learns his ways of good living. Nature and man are one and inseparable. Nature is so good, so kind so sincere and so generous that man in his own very nature which is but part and parcel of greater nature must be good kind sincere and generous here comes the belief of the chinese that human nature is all good evils grow only out of the perversion of good this is why great chinese teachers and statesmen always trust the good that is in man Great statesmen like Dr. Sun Yat-sen and great teachers like Dr. Tsai Yuan-pei always take any Tom, Dick or Harry for a good man until he proves the contrary. And they're always ready to forgive and forget. Herein lies their greatness and broad-mindedness. It is proverbial that a statesman's mind is so broad that you could row a boat in it. While a scholar's heart is as resonant as a hollow in mountain regions that echoes with every vibration of sound. Nature is China's national teacher. Upon nature, she built her moral universe and thus her culture and civilization. Since Chinese civilization furnishes only inadequate means to control nature, she follows nature. Here lie the differences between East and West. It is the duty of the moralists and poets to follow nature. It is the duty of the scientist to control it. Under the influence of Western civilization, the younger generation is changing, changing from a poetic and moral appreciation to a scientific study of nature. Hereafter, China will understand nature not only through feelings and empirical observation, but through the intellect and scientific research. China will know nature more intimately and control it more effectively to bring prosperity to the nation and better the livelihood of the people. At the same time, science will not destroy the sense of beauty in nature as some people think it may. As I write, I look out through the windows and see, in the gardens, the old pine trees and bamboo groves fresh after a rain and over the bamboo trees I see the Yangtze River gracefully winding its tranquil way past the hilly city of Chongqing. The sense of the beauty of nature gives me peacefulness of mind and tranquility of heart. But if I think of the plants botanically, I see in them the growth of the cells and the circulation of the sap, which does not lessen my sense of beauty at all. If I look at the river geologically, I see, through its silt carrying waters to its bed, which millions and millions of years ago may have been just dry land or even the bottom of a rough sea. Thinking in this way, the beauty of the gentle Yang remains in my mind, just the same or even with richer associations. That a knowledge of the working of their cells should destroy one's sense of the beauty of pine trees or bamboo groves is unthinkable. It makes me feel that nature is even more wonderful and beautiful with a scientific outlook. From love of the beauty in nature and a feeling of her irresistible force, a strong fatalism grew up in the minds of the Chinese people. In spite of all human efforts, Nature will stick to its invariable course. Thus flood and drought are beyond human power to control and people have learned to submit to fate. Since it is fate, they may just as well take it good-naturedly. What is the use of making much fuss over fate? This is why one finds many a toiler in China with a smiling face. Misery is a fate why not take it in good humor here is one secret of why the Chinese people have had so great a capacity to stand hardship and suffering during the years of war do your best perform your duty and let fate take care of the rest enjoy nature's way and be contented with your lot the placid autumn moon the tender June breeze spring blossoms winter snows all are in store for your enjoyment, rich and poor alike.
1: Welcome to A Light on Literature, a representation of timeless works from Chinese literature. Today's narration by Tang Daming is Tides from the West. A Chinese Autobiography Written by Chang Mong Ling
0: Chapter 34 Modern Civilization Modern Civilization originated in Europe. American Civilization is but its offspring. Chinese Civilization, which developed from its own sources and is of a very high order, is regarded as ancient china began to be modernized only with the influx of modern influences from europe and america in the last 50 years she has been going through the metamorphosis of coming up to date with its accompanying agonies she has been forced into the modern world step by step by the ties of westernization as we have seen in these pages modern civilization is an ambiguous term it yields various impressions. It may mean more and better weapons of war for men to massacre each other with until it destroys them all. It may mean better means of production to support more millions in comfort and luxury and create a higher standard of living. Or the term may be used for the science and invention that have made both modern warfare and a high standard of living possible. It may represent the mentality which searches for objective truths in order to enable man to control nature. It may refer to better communication and better organization in mobilizing resources and wealth. It may signify democracy to the democratic countries or totalitarianism to totalitarian nations. Part or all of these may be called modern civilization. As to what is most essential or most truly typical, no two people seem to agree. Then, what has China been doing during these fifty troubled years? She has trodden in the dark. Sometimes she has seemed to be walking into a trap as a fly will by licking the sweetness that leads it along the path of doom. At other times, she seems to have been cornered by a group of armed gangsters who forced her into submission. This she resented, and afterward tried to get weapons to defend herself. All in all, she has struggled and muddled, and finally began to see light in what is called Western civilization, with its good as well as evil, blessings as well as curses. What are the goods and blessings she should try to absorb? What evils reject? Here, too, there seems to be no agreement whether among individuals or groups. The evils she has taken in may later prove to be laden with blessings. Thus, from the evil of opium, forced upon China by superior weapons of war, she got the seeds of modern science. The goods she has adopted may prove to be accompanied by unsuspected evils. For example, By relying too much on system and organization, we forgot the virtues of individual integrity and responsibility. There are cases where new systems and organizations have failed in their work for lack of due emphasis upon these qualities. The standard of living was raised for the few who lived upon the exploitation of many. Thus, automobiles were imported and used without making an effort to manufacture them. It takes thousands of farmers, each raising hundreds of bushels of rice, to produce the means of exchange for one imported car. Modern conveniences in modern towns, such as electric lights, radios, flush toilets, and other comforts, must be paid for by the sweat of millions of tillers of the land. In lifting our standard of living we are impoverishing the country by an unfavorable trade balance. Yet the standard of living must be raised and accompanying evils must be remedied by scientific agriculture, farm machinery and an irrigation system for increased productivity. These, again, will give rise to new problems – We have suffered much from modern civilization, yet we still need more of it. If we take too much at a time, we vomit it forth again violently, as in the case of the Boxer Uprising of 1900. If we take too little, it is ineffective. This seems to be how modern civilization goes in China, yet China must muddle along with the world willy-nilly in the west during the last hundred years one invention has led to another one idea to another one step in progress to another one prosperity to another and one war to another only peace did not lead to another peace, but to war this is how the world has forged ahead in the name of modern civilization
1: That was part 1 of chapter 34 of the book Tides from the West A Chinese autobiography written by Chang Lin Read by Tang Da And published by the Foreign Language Teaching and Research Press Join us again next time on A Light on Literature For the second part of chapter 34 See you next time